Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Done, done. All right. Well, we're back after John deserted me for the last four weeks. <laughs> that desperate. is the most horrifically baseless claim I've ever heard. You were in like 18 different countries out angling people on all sides of the globe. I was desperate to record, but you just rejected me time and time again. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely how Peak Speak works, everyone. I'm the one that has a tight schedule that can never squeeze things in. And big business Thomas Lilly with his 785 gyms just has all the free time in the world. The irony is anyone, anytime anyone asks me, like, oh, when's the next episode? I say, oh, I don't know. It's John's got a kid. It's hard to mind <laughs> So... It's not what the people think. Oh, you're painting me as the bad guy, you absolute fuckwit. Yes. What was wrong with your coffee machine? Oh, so I've got one of the Breville dual boilers at the gym because I partially twisted one of the members' arms into buying it for the gym because he does some like work from home stuff out of the gym. Anyway, uh, it just hadn't been turned on for a while and it takes a while to heat up, but we finally got there. And mm. the coffee wasn't as good as it, it is at home, but that's just because it's new coffee. And uh, it's not, I'm not as dialed in on that machine and that grinder as I am at home. But mm. our good friends at Prism had their Shifu, which is a Ethiopian kosher. That's definitely not kosher, but it looks like kosher. Natural process, tropical fruits, floral, sweet, delightful. Does kosher always mean kosher? I know that's a very, very... Dumb question. <laughs> but is it ever used in a different context? Well, in this context, it's not spelt the same. So it's a different word. It just looks like it would sound like kosher, but it isn't. Uh, and despite the fact that I have very curly hair, I am not Jewish and thus cannot answer that question. I That noise was me opening yes, up a I box could. of Prisman. Prison. I could see that. Hello, Beretti. Who comes up with the names? Uh, I'm almost certain it's Jono, given it's basically Jono doing all of them. Where does he come up with the names? I Have you ever asked? No, I haven't. Um, I should ask there. There's some good ones. What are, what are the ones that are in there? Well, I can't pronounce any of them. And Show me them. And Ferrara. Yeah, that one's good. I mean, they're all fucking good. I was going to say. Is there an orange one? Man, it's like, yeah, that's the one I just had. And is there an orange like Manos? San Luis? Yeah, that one's fucking good too. I always like the green ones. Like, uh, do the colors mean something? Uh, no, he reuses color schemes. Uh, but it's more... Because I believe they're all uh, single origin beans. So they're all like from one farm sort of thing. Uh, okay. Whereas like Taxi and a couple of the others are blends. Okay. 
So I think he's they he reuses like color schemes, but the actual coffees that are in them cycle through. Yeah, all right, sweet. Um, um, so yeah, uh, different regions, stuff like that. But anyway, that's enough coffee speak. Use the code PeakSpeak. Buy yourself some delicious coffee from our good friends at Prism. That's right. Buy some. How was ladies lifting? Looked you? Yeah, me. really good, man. We had like 46, 47, somewhere in there, I think, lifters in total. I mean, inevitably, people drop out in the last little while. Like, I think we had 55 or 60 signed up at one point. And sort of over the last two weeks, it's almost always when, I, when the two weeks out email goes out, we start getting a trickle in of uh, people cancelling for various reasons, which is the nature of the beast. But it was a really great day, man. I maintain it's my favourite comp that we host every year. Mm. there's something about the vibe in a room like that that's just a little bit more fun than even like some of our really good novice comps i think there's always as i was sort of saying to a few of the members after the day yesterday who are making similar comments uh there's always at a novice comp a couple of dudes and you know like it's a stereotype for a reason who are just maybe taking themselves a little bit too seriously and that often just brings the vibe down a little bit and it's unfortunate because like I was that guy and I fucking hate the fact that I was that guy at one point um, but yeah it's just always a really fun day man and we got through it really quick like we got through 45 lifters and I think I was at the pub by 4 um, mm. with the gym like fully packed up and set up and we'd started at 10 so yeah yeah, it all went down really well. And it's a fun way to raise some money for a good cause. We're raising money for Karina House, which is like a women and children's shelter sort of group in Canberra that do a bunch of really good stuff. So, yeah, just always a really good time. Yeah, awesome, man. Well done. How we was haven't... your wanderings? My wanderings. Yes, travel was good. I call it a trip. Everyone says, how's your holiday going? I'm like, I'm not on holiday. Holiday implies I'm not working. The trip was hard because... You had to work in different time zones? <laughs> well, not just that, but like work early morning, late night after doing 40,000 steps. Yeah, boohoo, woe is me, whatever. Uh, but and it was great. It was great. Uh, it's cool to see some, some new parts of the world. Uh, Meg had never been to Europe before, so it's cool to show her some of the, uh, some of the places that I had been to. Uh, we pretty much did the same road trip that... Stenzel, Scott Watson, Gus Cook, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did in 2013, like a very, very similar route. But cool. it's really nice going back as a proper adult, like I was 23 then, or 24, mm. whatever, as a kid, uh, and having an understanding of some history and being able to stand in spots and be like, oh, that's who that person is, rather than being able to say, yes, that person did this here and have no idea who they yeah, were yeah. and what they meant and that sort of thing. So Yeah, you just get a bit more of a perspective for it, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that was great. And then um, uh, the main reason we went was for, for Jordan Hellyer's wedding, who's my yeah, business that's, partner that's what I thought in, it was. in Wales. So he's opening up a zero in Wales pretty soon and it was good to catch up with him. Uh, and his now wife, Saf, was very happy to have five minutes of wedding celebrations instead of only hearing about zero uh so that was good excellent excellent it, it was good we got nationals coming up in a couple of weeks apl nationals too that's gonna be fun i get yeah, to yeah, hang I'm, out with my friend Cheryl again i'm excited good. for that that'll uh that'll be a good time and looks like it'll be a fun comp we've had i unfortunately had one of our i'm bringing all female team it's the first time i've ever been to a nationals with an all-female team which is cool uh but yeah one of our lifters had to pull out um oh shit 
turns out she uh, extremely needs knee surgery. Um, oh, and like can't even, no, I can't even leg drive in a bench. Like can't put any pressure through her leg or anything like that. So she should talk to Buddy. They're in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it should be a fun time. Be nice to get away from the cold. I'm excited for it not to be negative zero, negative zero, negative three. But anyway. Yeah, gross. Do you have, remind me, you have lifters on Friday and Sunday or just Friday? Friday and Sunday, I think. I think I've got two or three on Friday and then two or three on Sunday. I'm nervous. The venue is great, but the warm-up room is smaller than last year. And there's more lifters. So we're going to have to, we had a conversation the other day about videographers because coaches handlers are normally if i have to push another fucking videographer (laughs) out of the way i will throw someone's camera across the room this is the thing right so people you know people get their coach or their handler that's fine they're allowed to come out the back and they're normally pretty respectful because normally coaches and handlers are are lifters as well videographers are videographers and they want to get the shot and uh they're also carrying bulky equipment and they're laser focused on a device right in front of their face instead of what's happening around them so we're we're probably going to have to police that pretty hard so sorry in advance if you get yelled at as a videographer no, fuck sorry don't bring a fucking videographer into a warm-up room at a powerlifting meet well You're not I that share, fucking important I, I share the same feelings until it's my lifters and then i want them videoed <laughs> yeah absolutely um but that's the great thing about not having democratic society in powerlifting you can make your own rules up thomas do what you want um, all right well, this is not promoting the change that i'm wanting to promote no no it's not it's just a fucking annoying thing but it's yeah. been happening forever right like it, it's it wasn't always videographers it used to just be a crew of just fucking posses. dudes standing around getting in the way and now it's just those same people that are generally less jack no offense videographers you're generally less jack than the average powerlifting hanger on a um and they still just get in the way less less invisible lat syndrome yes yes and Which less like walking around sucking on lemons all day <laughs> It's your favorite term. Yeah. Uh, it's a facial expression that doesn't really carry over in a podcast setting, but, you know, here we are anyway. Mm. So as people come into competitions, they'll be thinking about their programming. Oh, uh, look at that. No, Segway Thomas is back. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. I I mean, it's an, it, it's a tale of age-old tale of time on, on social media, which is you're right you're wrong everything you do is right everything you do is wrong everything is a mistake and uh programming is no exception to that rule and there's just a lot of like do this do that this is okay this is not okay kind of thing uh and as a young up-and-coming coach it could be extremely confusing or as just a consumer like the average punter can be very um uh, it can be very analogous to people hyperfixating on getting the perfect amount of protein or calories or micronutrients. In the grand scheme of things, the, the, there are bigger hard and fast rules that actually matter and chasing absolute perfection is kind of a misnomer, right? Like the, what is absolute perfection when it comes to programming and how can we get the most out of our programs? This is the kind of stuff that I wanted to unpack a little bit further i guess yeah man and as i said to you just before we started recording i've said a few times to people recently that the big secret in the fitness industry that no one wants to tell you is that on a long enough time scale pretty much everything works 
Uh, and that's when you recognize that as a coach who's developing their programming style and, and coaching philosophy, I think that's actually a really powerful thing to recognize because you can then go around and question a few of the things you're doing and try things that maybe you didn't think would work and, and other things like that. But I think to start on the, the discussion around what is a perfect program, I used to think it was the program itself. Like how is it put together, the sequencing, the sets and reps, all of that sort of shit. And these days I think actually that matters way less. And the perfect program is actually built on your ability to tell a good enough story to the person who's doing the program to get them bought into the process and excited about it and ready to do it because I can put together the most perfect progression of sets and reps and percentages and RPEs and auto regulation and all that other kind of fun buzzword stuff but if you look at that program as a lifter and you're like ah I don't really want to do this then you're just not going to get the same results out of it as someone who's super excited to do a program that you know on paper looks like it sucks and I think we all know that because we've done some fucking dumb shit in the gym over a long enough time scale and got really good results out of like really dumb shit, right? Mm-hmm. There are plenty and- of people who get excellent results from a physique standpoint or from a strength standpoint despite their best efforts as mm-hmm. opposed to because of, right? Like here is the dumbest fucking program in the world, but you are just ripping it apart by training your ass off every single session and doing all the things you need to do. And then suddenly you get heaps of results out of it. And they're like, oh, this program's amazing. No, you just tried really hard for a long time. Mm. And I yeah. think recognizing that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always, I always kind of go back and forth and have this like moral debate in my head about this sometimes. With both technique and programming, uh, which is... You know, chasing all the one percenters and perfection and perfection as it stands in whatever your model is. You know, I have a very clear definition of what my model is, is actually super powerful in terms of for the elite, it gets in the result that they want because it is harder to, to make a more experienced person better. Mm. For the novices, it's also way better to have an optimized perfect program in air quotes because it'll get them what they want faster. It'll get them a better result faster. And that's what coaching is, it's a shortcut. But at the same time, I still hold strongly to exactly what you just said, which is do anything consistently and consistently well, and you're probably gonna get better. Uh, And in this case, part of being able to do something consistently is to have that buy-in and to create that buy-in. And I love how people think that there's a like a chasm between the elite and the inexperienced when it comes to this let me tell you firsthand working with people who are the best at this sport i still have to make things fun and interesting them and sometimes even more for them than the people who are hungry Uh, because the people who are hungry they're just like i want it and i'll do whatever it takes and a lot of the elite people have that mindset until they don't until post-comp, until they've got the blues and they're like, oh, I just don't know. I don't know if I can keep going. Then I have to work out ways. And it's far more of a psychological problem because I can't just be like, what do you like doing? They're like, oh, I don't like doing anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, I have to like really it, dig and yeah. dig and dig and dig and, and rack my brains as to how can I figure out how to create uh, a program that does create buy-in for this person who doesn't want to do it right now. and, and the, Or who says they don't want to do it, but they do want to do it yeah yeah man i think that uh, i've always liked the idea of 
it not being about achieving perfection when it comes to technique or programming or any of that stuff but it's actually about the pursuit of perfection and mm-hmm. it's that's i like framing that with the idea of like it, you know the best way to continue to move forward is to make better decisions right like you don't have to make the best decisions because in most cases the best decisions only the best decision for a moment in time and then suddenly it's not the best decision anymore but you have to just occasionally make better decisions. So like, depending on the level you're at, if you're a complete beginner who's never done any of this before, a better decision is to stick to something consistently for several months at a time and just gradually get better at it. If you're an elite level lifter, a better decision might be take a year off from competing and find your love of training again Mm. and be able to then come back stronger a year from now, two years from now, right? There isn't a perfect decision that suits both of those people. And there's probably not a perfect decision that suits each of those individuals at different time stages in their career, but the whole thing's about continually making better decisions along the way. It's the the sort of macro, micro level that you zoom in and out on as to where those decisions are made based on how experienced you are. Mm. A less experienced, more novice level lifter is making better decisions on a macro level, like turning up to the gym consistently, following a program, trying to go to bed at a reasonable time and eat some food and those kind of things. An elite level lifter has to make better decisions about their load selection on a given day based on where they are this week versus where we need to be next week or the nuances of small parts of technique or sequencing training days in a week so that their elbows aren't sore from their heavy squatting session when they need to bench or things like that, right? Where... The decision-making process, I think, is the same. We're still all trying to do the same thing and get the most out of it. It's just the level at which you have to zoom in or out on for each of those individuals based on where they're at that makes the difference, I think. Mm. No, I fucking love that. Um, I, I was thinking along the very similar lines last night. I was I was doing my meal prep every Sunday. I, I make my, my food for the next four or five days. Uh, and recently, uh, so for anyone who doesn't, know me or know me well enough to know this i i do everything pretty much exactly the same week in week out like almost because he's a robot exactly almost to a t right and so for i've been eating the same meals with slightly different flavors for years and i do it in the same when i'm cooking i cook in the same sequence and recently i made a change to the sequence to make it faster uh, and so what the sequence is for those who are super interested, <laughs> cut a bunch of veggies, put them aside, cut my aromatics, start cooking them, throw the meat in and throw the veggies in after that. And what I found was if I do the aromatics first and then cook the meat while I'm cutting the veggies, I shave off Time like ten, 10 minutes from yep. the process. I'm like, oh great. This is, this is cool. When I'm, uh, how many can't times do it on did a you Sunday forget and, to cook the vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't like, do it on the Sunday and I have to do it on Monday faster. This is good for me. Uh, and coming circling back around to what you were saying about making better decisions the only way that i could identify that as a better decision was doing the same decision for an extended period of time Mm. so then i could objectively step back and be like how can i make this process any better and it's exactly the same with programming if you want to make better decisions with your programming you have to do the same thing for an extended period of time so you can analyze the outcome so you can know what the better decision needs to be and that happens on all those levels that John was just talking about, micro and macro levels. You need to, you know, show up to the gym, do a program for an extended period of time, see an outcome and be like, okay, now how can I make a better decision 
to make this program get me results faster and so on and so on and so on to the deepest most micro level the only way you can do that is by making those decisions consistently for an extended period of time and we always say stuff like this and we never put actual time frames on it so i'd pose a question to you when when you say like let's 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 be consistent so we can see a result with something like programming what would you say is the minimum time you'd need to give uh before you can you, you can definitively say okay this is working this is not working i need to change it i think it's i mean my gym membership has a three-month minimum which is like contractually obliged because the first month in my head is really just like sorting some shit out introducing you to the process that kind of thing then months two and three are really when we can start to like fine-tune a few of those things and get it rolling in the right direction so i think that's like a, a reasonable time frame for the average person to do something for a little while and see some serious results out of it um it's also enough time for you to decide whether you like something or not which i think mm. is also important um but again i think that also depends on the level that you're at right for some people you could do something consistently for two weeks but you're in tune enough with everything else that you know that it's working right like i'm sure for for you in the food example to carry on with that analogy you knew like the second time you did it in that sequence that it was fast, right? The first time you're like, hmm, maybe I can do it like this and it'll work. The second time you're like, all right, cool, it works. Mm. And then you're good as long as you don't fuck your whole, the rest of your sequence up because you've introduced a new variable and your robot brain can't deal with that. Um, but I think in that context, that is again a, a testament to the fact that you have lots of data on it. You have like a really extensive documented history not that you're timing yourself it wouldn't fucking surprise me if you were um but but same process applies right i think um that sort of you know six to eight week window is probably reasonable as a time frame of something to be consistent enough to see a result out of it or to know whether it's working or not for some people you could get away with shorter um but again i think it depends on the variable as well mm yeah and i mean like there's obviously not an answer to that question no. a perfect answer i was curious for, you, for your insight and i i strongly agree i, I love the uh, sort of three month as a blanket time frame is great uh, yeah I, I find it really odd uh week to week program i don't find completely odd i don't do it but i don't find it completely odd but i do find it completely odd when someone does a week of training and be like ah oh, that's not working for me mm. how do you know like you yeah. <laughs> You, you can't know that or even a block of training like five weeks six weeks whatever it is someone does a block and it's like uh yeah i feel like this is really working for me it's like you mean you like it because they're two very different things if we're talking about strength outcomes because you're not going to measure a strength improvement in six weeks no. a real strength improvement if we're no. talking about like a strength athlete yeah uh, and so yeah i think um i think giving it at least at least three months is going to be a, a good place to start uh, but i mean we don't need an answer to this question no. let's just do something consistently for i i sort of have a story that i think can tie into this interestingly uh i just finished my first block of this like indoor cycling program thing that i've been running uh the last six weeks um and did redid the like ramp test that you do to test where you're at and improved my result by like 23 and a half percent or something like that uh and it went from like shit to like slightly less shit which is fine um but i then the first thing that goes into my head is like 
did I get any better or was I just better at the test? And there's a huge part of me that was absolutely better at the test. Like I paced the test better. So the, the test you do for this is a ramp test where it starts at like 100 watts, which is not a lot. And then it increases like, I think it was 10 or 20 watts a minute and just keeps going until you can't keep up anymore. And then they give like an average of your last minute of power and you get a score called your FTP, functional threshold power. What, what's the power output you can hold for an hour? Uh, and the first time I did it six and a half, seven weeks ago, I had forgotten how fucking hard it is. Like it just creeps up on you really quick. It's like easy, 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 fuck, I'm going to die. And I went too hard too early. Like I spun too fast and I was just tired myself out. And I knew that as soon as I'd finished. But also I wasn't as in shape then because I hadn't been training hard. I'd just been kind of plodding along. So my coach brain and, and my inferiority complex immediately go to what are the reasons that this isn't actually an improvement? Like how can I justify that I haven't just gotten better? What have I changed? What have I done? Like where are the things that could be the reason this happened, not just I got better at it? And I think too often in programming, we do the exact opposite in strength sports. We're like, oh, we changed that one thing in programming or we introduce a new exercise or something like that and that's the reason i got better and we've talked about this before it's like maybe you just trained for six months and you got stronger because you trained consistently for six months but also maybe you just got better at it like i think when it comes to making programming decisions both on a macro and a micro level as a coach you need the ability to objectively assess like is this actual improvement or is this just gaming the test and those sort of things? And I don't think you can measure that on a two week timescale, you know, or a three week timescale. That is, you just got better at the test, not necessarily you've actually made measurable improvements. And so I think if you can uh, try and pick holes in your own ideas, and you've talked about this a lot in terms of technique and things like that, try and, you know, take your cues and do them badly look at your programming results and justify why it's not the program that got better why it's you know or the person that got better on the program why it's some other external factor because i think that just helps not that you have to be able to like justify every decision perfectly or anything like that but the deeper you dig into those sort of things the more you can both understand the factors that influence performance like in my case, I was better fueled. I was fucking excited to do the test. I was, you know, all of these factors that influence your ability to push harder, especially in something like endurance stuff where it's like, there's always one more pedal stroke. There's always, you know, one more moment you can keep pushing. But being able to look into, okay, well, what's different? How am I better prepared for it? Those sort of things. You don't need to be able to then say yeah i I, uh, on paper i improved 23 percent, but really i only proved 18 percent because that other five and a half six percent is accounted for in these other factors maybe maybe not but i just think it's an interesting thought experiment that maybe we don't do enough of when it comes to building programs and justifying decisions like that Hmm. and it's hard because i mean part of improving is gaming the test yeah you know that's what we're trying to do I mean, maybe not the same in, in what you were doing in cycling, but if the test is a one rep max, it's like part of getting better is getting better at the skill of the test. Uh, yeah. It's cool. Like I think physical pursuits are almost unique in that uh, because um, if you think about the qualities of gaming the test, it's 
knowing what to expect it's like you you know building up mentally okay i'm doing it on this day i'm excited for it this is what i need to do this is what's going to happen these are the mistakes i made last time but the only way you can truly blow that test out of the water is by physically improving and even mm. if you can't measure the diff the the uh, contribution between one or the other you know by having a a distinct line of like here's the percentage improvement that would be more than just gaming the test you can have a pretty good idea right you can you, you can have a pretty good idea of uh of, of whether you've truly improved uh, as a coach we can anyway because we've had plenty of experience with it uh yeah and i, I think that's part of it is um i don't know where it's going with that you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah no i do i think it's it's most evident in the example that i'm absolutely certain we've talked about not that long ago of a lifter going to a new coach yeah. 12 to 16 <laughs> weeks out from a meet and then they have a huge PR meet cycle and hit all these massive PRs and the new coach is like, fuck yeah, look how good I am. It's like, nah, you didn't actually change that much in 12 weeks, 16 weeks. That lift is just expressing the strength that they've built in the six months prior to that where you were not in charge of those decisions and it's actually probably someone else's work that you're benefiting from. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think the the argument of nuance on training and the discussion around these little pieces is sexy on Instagram because you can take a um, a fucking contrarian approach to it, like your thing sucks, this thing's better, and here's why, and it gets good views and discussions like that, but misses the forest for the trees in many ways. What do you think are the worst culprits for it? Like, what do you think stands out as to? what confuses people the most it's a good question and i'm not sure i have an answer for it i think frequency was one in recent years it's probably not as much these days discussed but yeah cer certainly like there was like this emergence of hyper specificity hyper specificity and hyper frequency uh like it was something magical and most of the time it comes from someone's misinterpreted a scientific study or mm. you know gotten an inch and taken a mile taking it to the nth degree i think the the one i probably run into most commonly i think probably more so because of the level of lifter i tend to deal with is the the confusion over where they sit on this scale of macro to micro importance like having a discussion with the lifter who's six months into their lifting, even like two years into their lifting, uh, you know, career, I guess, who's like having discussions around nuances of supplements or like, you know, training processes and different ways to organize weeks and like things like that, where it's like, man, you just like you're just not ready for these discussions because we can talk about it and I can have these discussions with you because I like having them. I enjoy these discussions. But it also probably just doesn't fucking matter um, because there are just bigger fish to fry. If you're a lifter who's got two years of experience under your belt and all you've done for two years is repetitive 12-week peaking cycles, there are probably more important things that matter than the best way to formulate a peaking cycle because, spoiler alert, you probably fucked it up a little bit. Uh, and so I think that's a, a big one that I see a lot is just looking too short-term what's the next thing on the block as opposed to how am I spending the next 12 months building into the two years that follow that? Um, 
which I think for a lot of people is hard because they get into it, get super excited about the next thing and the next event and stuff like that. So sometimes powerlifting is a bit of a curse like that. It doesn't really lend itself to a bigger, longer term view. Like we talk about powerlifting being about great delayed gratification, but it's not because like 12 weeks isn't delayed gratification. You like did some work for what we've considered to be the minimum amount of time you need to see any real progress. And then you've just done the thing you like doing anyway. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the one I see the most. As a spoiler alert for people as well, especially so they transition from like novice to intermediate, intermediate to advanced, getting the nuance right, getting those one percenters, it's kind of like the creatine or the fish oil. Yeah, yeah. You know it's a good analogy. You know it's good. You know it's there. You know you should do it. You do do it, but you don't really feel it. Yeah. Like you'll see it in the long term. But it's yep. not like you change these things to the 1% and the next week training feels amazing. Everything feels different. Numbers are skyrocketing. It just keeps you progressing. Yep. Uh, and, and progress Absolutely. happens at a pretty relatively linear rate. Even even as you mm. get into the, the more experience, it's just you have to be good at doing those little things as you get more experienced. And you also have to have things line up for the expression of that progress to come out as you exactly. planned it like you, you the precision requirement on the expression of the result is much higher at a lower level you can have a bad day and still hit prs because your prs aren't sitting on the precipice of like get it don't get it they're like oh you mm. just got a bit stronger i actually had a similar um, discussion with someone about uh improvements in aerobic endurance cardio stuff as it's relevant to strength training they were like you know when do i see a benefit from this i was like i don't know five years from now (laughs) like when you feel reasonably healthy and maybe you notice you sleep a bit better but you've been able to consistently train hard for a long time Mm. it's one of those background burners that sits there and ticks away that you never really see the direct results of but it's the cumulative half a percent that you got out of it over the course of five years that makes the visible difference Mm. i just want to clarify something i just said as well I said progress happens fairly linearly and someone's going to say, no, with experienced people, it's way harder, blah, blah, blah. It definitely tapers off as you get more experience. Yeah, but it's I just think the gradient th- of that line that changes. Yeah, but I think um, it's exacerbated so much by what you were saying a second before that, which yeah. is just like the, the skill of expressing strength if we're talking about strength sports. Like so much of that rapid progress that happens as a noob is just learning how to do the thing. Uh, mm. in, in intermediates... And or between intermediates and advanced, I don't actually think the rate of progress is that much different. I just think most people don't know how to do it. Honestly, that's that's what I think it comes down to a lot of the time. Um, is there a, is there a change? Yeah, for sure there is, but I don't think it's as drastic as what people think. Like people think you have to claw to add two point five kilos to your squat over a year. It doesn't have to be like that. You just have to know how to do it. And if you don't have the luxury of having done it with thousands of people, like coaches like us then of course it's going to be slow while you figure out what to do and what to change and what to uh, measure and all of those sort of things. Also in that scenario, it appears less linear because if you're doing it by yourself or with an inexperienced coach, it will be less linear because you'll try some things and they won't work and it'll appear that you've gone backwards before you actually then end up making the progress that could have potentially been linear otherwise. Um, 
because that's the again that's the learning process right like you said earlier having a coach just speeds up the process of making all those mistakes we've just made enough of them that we don't need to make them in the same way anymore all right that's gone well, weird we better call it there because my internet's having a heart attack apparently i'm blaming the rain excellent that's fair all right thanks we for coming you, friends bye. see you again soon Nice.